This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to Sports Betters Paradise on the Bet Rivers Network. All right, Jimmy out here on Sports Betters Paradise on the Bet Rivers Network YouTube channel with Jonathan Von Tobel of Visa JVT. How are you? I'm good, Jimmy. You know, fun weekend. It was a solid weekend contest-wise as well. Whenever you finish above 500 in a wild week like that, and especially like some contest selections early on, you feel relatively good. So, uh, And you also feel somewhat lucky given the way that the sport can go. So it was a good weekend. How about you? Uh, great. Um, some uh, some uh, uh, survivor picks, too. I mean, those were more than half the pool is done <laughs> in just about everybody's pool. Uh, you know, I do some locally, do it nationally as well. But, mm-hmm. I mean, oh. I haven't heard one survivor pool that has more than 50%, especially uh, after uh, Denver uh, decided to attempt a long field goal last night as well. Yeah, that was um, out of all the results and all of the questionable decisions that I think we saw from the weekend. Um, Nathaniel Hackett and the Broncos allowing 30 seconds to run off and then attempt uh, what would it, what was it the second longest field goal would have ever made? Uh, the other one being indoors. It was. It was game management 101, what not to do. Uh, I was absolutely amazed by that. And I will say, like, big picture-wise here for Denver, you know, you always look for coaches who add wins at the margins, right? It's a phrase that is used quite a bit in the analytics community. And at this point right now, Nathaniel Hackett does not look like a coach that adds wins at the margins. In fact, he looks like a negative. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe some guys that have taken some some paths they didn't in, in, intend to, but uh, Mariota in his eighth year, Geno Smith in his ninth year, mm-hmm. uh, maybe serviceable uh, quarterbacks. Uh, Mariota was good uh, against the Saints. Um, they should have won, quite frankly, but uh, they have a, a way of losing uh, big leads historically. And uh, Geno was basically perfect, 17 for 17 to start and was outstanding. It did calm down in the second half, but, you know, looking for value. I'm not looking to win Super Bowls. I'm looking to cover spreads. Uh, Lions is the great equalizer. I mean, they, yep. <laughs> they they had a horrible record last year, but they had a winning record. Same old story. They lose, but they do cover. So trying to find those under-the-radar teams or maybe just quarterbacks or teams performing a little bit higher than maybe the public perceives them as. Yeah, you know, this year, for example, kind of leading into what this next week's going to look like, uh, the Houston Texans were circled by a lot of people, including myself, as potentially that team. And sure enough, they build up a big lead against Indianapolis. They blow it, especially late turnover. It gives Indianapolis a short field. But ultimately, they hold on in overtime to play them to a tie, and they cover a seven-point spread at home. And they were a side, too, that in the days leading up, remember, Indianapolis was like an eight-point favorite for a while. That ends up closing about seven. Houston's one of those teams that has a Detroit 
Detroit Lions feeling to them where I'm not sure how many games they're going to win, not sure how good they could potentially be. But if you look at that roster, they're, they're sprinkled around at multiple positions with some halfway decent talent. And I think they're going to be coached relatively well by Lovey Smith. And all those things kind of build together for a team that in most situations, especially like when you look at this week, uh, they're going to be catching quite a bit of points. Take catching 10 against a Denver team that looked very unimpressive on their Monday night game. And so when you look at Houston, for example, I think they're a team that you kind of want to circle in that they're going to be relatively well coached. Again, using that phrase, wins on the margins. They're not going to find themselves out of position. And in situations like this against a public team that is going to be backed consistently, which is Denver, I think they're going to be in pretty good positions, especially when I get there on the road this week, Jimmy. And we talked about this last time. The home road thing is not really it's not really worth that much right. anymore. Actually, if you look at it this week, the road teams had a lot of success. And if you actually calculate it out by median result, uh, you should actually give a half point to the road teams, just given the way that they ended up. Now it's one game, but I think when you look at a team like Houston, they fit the bill of a team that's going to be pretty plucky, especially when catching quite a few points. Uh, so you do. It's at Bet Rivers. It's nine and a half right now, JVT. Uh, you're taking the Texans this week, plus nine and a half over Denver. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would say, too, sitting at that 9.5 over at Bet Rivers, I would sit back and wait and see what the market does with that number before you jump right in uh, and see if you can get 10 if Bet Rivers gets to that point. You think Denver, I think that would be the strategy. I'm there. sorry. I'm sorry to cut you off. Do you think Denver is still public after losing to Seattle on Monday night? I, I think so. I, I think even in a primetime spot like that, the public tends to, especially in a, in a situation like this, right, where they're taking on the lowly Houston Texans, uh, I think there's very much a chance here where the public's going to come back in and support them, especially when you're talking about like that nine and a half underneath that 10 mark. You'll probably see some support here for Denver. It takes, a, I think at least observationally, a minute for the public to kind of get off of their teams. One of the best examples, Jimmy, actually is, was it two years ago, the Kansas City Chiefs? Remember, they went through that stretch at the end of the year. I think there was nine games where they went one seven and one against the spread something of that nature but they were getting bet every single week the results did not matter now the Chiefs are still winning those games as opposed to Denver kind of crapping the bed in a public forum on Monday night but I still think that's going to be the case especially against a team like Houston which is publicly perceived to be one of the worst franchises in the NFL all right uh, to pick it up that uh, crazy Monday night finish in Seattle all of a sudden finds themselves atop the NFC West standards that's right uh they the standings they uh, hung on to win the only team, San Francisco, the Rams uh, in Arizona, all get beat uh, in week one. Now we have a divisional matchup at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara. San Francisco, eight and a half over Seattle. And um, Trey Lance, uh, you know, it, it was some rough conditions pregame, kind of calmed it down for most of the game. But then when the uh, the, the Bears got that, uh, got that lead, then the downpour started. So that made it rough about yep. the last seven or eight minutes. But still... He continues to struggle. And not only that, the play calling. You can tell they don't have a ton of confidence uh, in him as a pocket passer. Seems to be a big number for a struggling quarterback and a struggling offense. San Francisco, 8.5, 42.5, JVT. Yeah, and this is, for me, this is just part of a bigger picture. So I'm somebody that came into the year, Jimmy, with a perception that San Francisco was a little overvalued. I have them under 10, and for them to lose a game as a six and a half, seven point favorite is massive for somebody who, like me, has a bet under their win total. And now they come back here, laying that number against Seattle. And I do think that when we're looking at this, there is still this market perception that San Francisco is being rated as one of the best teams out there in the National Football League, and I still don't believe that to be the case. And I think you kind of want to draw a line. You mentioned it through 
through the week one game in that Trey Lance's performance was somewhat hampered down uh, by the conditions in which he was in. But you can still see some of the positives and negatives from Lance. And he still kind of looked like the quarterback that started two games last year. Relatively inaccurate when it comes to some of the actual balls, like true accuracy. Uh, He completed only 46% of his passes. Again, maybe some of the conditions. uh, But from a grading standpoint, too, like PFF standards only gave him a 52.2 in terms of his passing grade. He just doesn't look comfortable. And you can see it. You mentioned the dynamic with Shanahan uh, where they're, they cut to the sideline and Shanahan's kind of laying into him. Like, what are we doing here in terms of the execution of this offense? I think that San Francisco is going to be a little bit more reliant on their defense as we move forward here. But again, it's a how the market rates this team. And I think this should be much closer to a touchdown. My numbers came out to about seven and a half as opposed to the number that's out there right now. So I'm going to play Seattle. Seattle, I think, showed that they're a competent team. Uh, Geno Smith has been a competent quarterback as well. And I would expect this number to move a little bit more towards Seattle as we get closer to game time. So I'm going to look back and sit back and look at this and think that the Seattle Seahawks, kind of two teams meeting at a head, right? One team that seems to be a little overvalued. I came into that season with that perception. And Seattle seems to be a team that's being undervalued by the market meeting here in week two. And I'm going to take a large number with the underdog on the road. All right. Uh, no slouch game here. That's a good one. And maybe a little surprise that it wasn't picked for a primetime game. It's going to be a 325 game down in the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans. And New Orleans has owned Tampa Bay minus the biggest one, the divisional game yep. against in front of maybe 2,500 fans, not the usual Superdome crowd for the black and gold. So they escape with a wild game uh, in Atlanta, uh, trailed by 16 in the fourth quarter. And then Jameis Winston just started going for broke. And, well, with nothing to lose, he came up big. Big throws to, to all the three uh, the new receivers. Michael Thomas, who was out uh, last year. Jarvis Landry coming over from Cleveland. And also the rookie from Ohio State, Chris Olave. All very big in the comeback. And then Lutz hits the big field goal to end it at the end. And Tampa Bay, um, man, just a took care of a beat-up uh, Dallas team. They couldn't block him. Uh, Tyron Smith, we talked about that injury before, and then Dak Prescott goes out as well. Uh, but they had to settle for a lot of field goals. Matchup has favored the Saints in this one. Saints are plus three at home against Tampa Bay. And I'm surprised they're catching a full field goal here. New Orleans is again. So I bet New Orleans to win the NFC South before the season began. Again, you know, at at week two at this point, I'm still kind of playing on some of my priors, which is that, you know, I came into this season thinking certain things about certain teams, rating certain teams certain ways. So I'm going to keep playing on those angles until I get proven wrong or uh, until, right, I am right and the market adjusts. And I think this is another one of those instances where if you're looking at this matchup with Tampa Bay, you hit on a couple of the things that really stuck out to me week one. First off, the second half, once New Orleans calmed down, you're talking about three consecutive scoring drives when they needed it, back-to-back touchdown drives and then a field goal. Jameis Winston graded out extremely well when you look at everything across the board, especially when he was kept clean, under no pressure, 19-28, 230 yards, two of his touchdown passes, or both of them came with that. I mean, he was fantastic, and he was challenging the ball downfield, and I think he's going to be able to do that again here against Tampa Bay. It did worry me, especially in the first half, that the uh, Saints' front seven was not as stout, especially against that running attack in Cordero Patterson as much as I liked, but so much of what Cordero Patterson did as well was him, right? Jump cuts, making guys miss, being an extremely good athlete. I think this defense is a little bit better than what it showed, and we saw that in the second half against Atlanta. And, and look, this is I played Tampa Bay in that game against Dallas, but that was more about going against Dallas than anything else. 
I thought when you watched Tampa Bay offensively, you talked about it consistently, settling for field goals because that offense looks so disjointed. Uh, I think when you look at this matchup overall, a team that has had success against Tom Brady since he has been there in the regular season, a staff that has continuity from those teams that had success against Tom Brady, I think there's something to be said here where you're catching a full field goal with New Orleans. I I think that this is a little bit off from the market. I I honestly think that New Orleans should be a very slight favorite at home here against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, And not by much, again, when we're talking about home field being worth that one and a half points. I made this about one, one and a half myself. Uh, But I do think that we're still rating Tampa Bay as this power that is really among the best in the NFL. While they're a very good team, still the issues along the offensive line, which the Saints can exploit. And I think the market hasn't caught up with how efficient and how good this offense can be for the Saints. So give me that Saints team at home here in this spot. Well, I could tell you one thing. Um, We could try and diminish the home field value. Um, It might not come into play. That place is going to be on fire. I promise you. I promise you that those people, they hate Tom Brady. It still sticks in them that they could not be in there for that big game in Breeze's last year. So dogs, baby. Yes, indeed. The dogs out. I will say one thing. I'll add something to the San Francisco and the uh, Trey Lance thing. Um, Mm -hmm. When you have a – a young quarterback, and you're trying to make easy throws for him, the tight end is very important. George Kittle and that groin is very important, I think, to as far as my level of confidence. I'm taking Seattle. I'm fading Trey Lance until they show me that defenses can't cheat against him because they, they, they're they not going to let him you know, make him throw the ball. But uh, Kittle being out is a big deal as well. I think he's going to target him a lot when he is healthy. I would think uh, Shanahan, who's a who's a pretty good play caller. I mean, let's respect it play caller. It would be uh that will allow his quarterback to get in some sort of rhythm, I think. Oh yeah, I, I think so. And honestly, we don't talk about it enough. George Kittle's a fantastic blocker, right? And that's a really big part of this offensive scheme as well. When you're talking about outside runs, George Kittle being able to do that. And to note on this game as well, to kind of add to it, uh, when you're looking at San Francisco, uh, Elijah Mitchell not being there. Again, running backs, you can kind of plug them in and do whatever. But Mitchell was set to be the lead guy for them for a reason. And now this is another running backfield that's been a little diminished under Shanahan. He has done the most with it. But think about where this backfield was a season ago to where it's at now coming into this game. It's a really big blow in terms of the skill position. So on top of Kittle, you've got a thin running back core too. I just think all of these things kind of put together here. San Francisco, it's it's weird how the market has been so high on this team. Like a lot of it has been Shanahan. Uh, and, you know, Lance got some play in terms of MVP. But uh, I think that this team, the market's got to catch up with. This team's kind of come back down to earth a little bit. They're not a terrible team by any stretch. But they are much closer to the teams around them in the division uh, than I think the market's given them credit for. All right. So here's JVT's top three picks uh, for the NFL in week two. Houston plus nine and a half. Seattle plus eight and a half, and New Orleans plus three. All three dogs. Get them dogs barking, JT, JVT, on this week, too. For JVT of VEASAN, I'm Jimmy Ott here at the Sports Better's Paradise on the Bet Rivers Sports Network YouTube channel.